Well, I mean, even about yesterday, I thought I was going to have enough time. Yeah. And then I, well, it, here's, here's how it turned out. I thought I was going to have enough time because I was doing the show in the morning, but Spectrum just decided to not give me Wi-Fi for mm. an hour. Granted, I was still able to do my show, but I'm not able to get them to Texas, get my breaks to Texas yeah. without uploading them to Dropbox. So I had to drive to Grace's work, use the Wi-Fi there, and then drive back. That's not the longest amount of time, but between driving there, driving back, uploading, and just like other stuff, that was yeah. an extra hour, which ate into the exactly two hours I had set aside to watch the episode before I went and got my tattoo because my tattoo artist said, oh, yeah, it'll be like three, four hours. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll definitely be able to make a four <laughs> o'clock record. Tim, I left the tattoo shop at 10 to 7. And when what, the appointment was for what? One o'clock. Wow. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I mean, when I saw that thing, um, if you don't follow Ted <laughs> on any social media, you can get a good look at it. I, at first, I thought you were just like sharing somebody else's cool tattoo. And then I was like, oh, no, holy shit. Ted has that on his arm now. It yeah, is no, very that is, intricate. That is me. Yes, it is incredibly in- intricate. If you know anything about tattoos, it is basically a f- uh, half sleeve with, uh, he said the needle size is a tight three, which is a very small needle. Wow. Um, it, it's not all of my upper arm, but it is pretty much all of my outer uh, bicep. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I've got stuff all over, and um, I, I liked... Cat's comment. She's like, "How did I not know that you had any tattoos before this? Because <laughs> this is number five for me, and they're all right in the same spot. But <laughs> all, all my other ones are either hidden by like the inside of my arm or my shirt sleeve. So th- yeah. this is really the the first really visible one that I'll have. The only other one I know about is you can see it in one of the videos or pictures is the Bart on the skate Bart's head on the skateboard. Oh yeah." <laughs> So now I know two of them. What are the other three? Uh, well, my first one was another Simpsons tattoo. My first one was uh, Kodos, the alien on the back of my arm. Ah, yes. Uh, my second one was a Grim Reaper on the front of my arm. Uh, three was uh, Decapitated Bart. Four mm. was the one on the inside of my arm that's a fork and a knife. And oh, yeah. number five is the one I just got. There you go. I was really hoping when you said you had a tattoo appointment that it was going to be a Seinfeld tattoo, but maybe that's next. Oh, man. I will get a Seinfeld tattoo uh, whenever our downloads quadruple. (laughs) Yes. You mean like per episode? Per episode. Yes. Yeah. Not not total, because total downloads... We're not bad. Oh yeah, but like we we've definitely like settled into a, a niche, and yeah. you know what? I'm I'm fine with it. But I, I do want to see the show grow. Who wouldn't? Yeah, I think for a small <laughs> independent podcast, we we have you know from what I've heard from you know like my friend uh, my my friend Tim Putry who does the Olympics podcast. He you know he he talks to a lot of podcast people, and he's like you know if you do, I forget what number he said, but like we blow it away. As far as he's like, if you if you post like this amount of downloads per episode, you got a pretty good, you know, following. And I was like, wow, we we definitely have yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah, actually, um, I was talking to the downvoter because the downvoter and one of his friends have a podcast. Yeah. And th- they've been having a lot of trouble, like really uh, like growing that and uh, and getting the word out about that. 
And he was asking me, he's like, hey, at what point with No Hugging, No Learning did you feel like you had a good audience? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I I love all the people that, that take the time to listen, but I'm like, from the start until now? I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. But I, I, I told him, I'm like, the thing that has really helped us is consistency. Because, like, we've uploaded something every Sunday, with the exception of, like, a few Mondays where... Uh, like we've had like tech- technical issues, yeah, uh, and also with the exception of like the one Sunday following our Christmas special each year. So fifty-one right. weeks out of the year, we upload something new. Yeah, yeah, that that really helps. And I think we also like stumbled into a an audience. You know, I mean, like Seinfeld just has a, an audience that continues to grow. And as we're going to find out, I think, oh my when, god, yeah, on, on October first, like it's just going to get bigger. And so, and we lucked out by, I think, doing something new with, you know, it's not just an episode recap or whatever. Like, the, that's that's great if you have two lifelong fans that, that do that. But um, I think we stumbled on a new concept for that, uh, that I'd never heard of before. You know I, know, I know there are podcasts with, like, two people who have no, you know, inclination or whatever about it. Like, that one that Lauren Lapkus does or whatever. They're like, well, we don't know oh, anything yeah. about it and we're talking about it. But yeah. I think this is a totally different thing where one fan gushes over it and one new fan gushes or sometimes balks or, or whatever, you know? Yeah. As long as we're plugging podcasts by people we don't know, we might as well mention at the movies with Lo and Mo as well. If you are oh, into yeah. Absolutely. stuff like The King of Comedy <laughs> Or The Fly, or Scorsese, or um, Clerks, stuff like that. Check them out. I have a bunch downloaded, and I can't wait till I have a uh, commute again <laughs> so I can listen to some of these episodes. Some of my, Ted, 7.8 gigs of downloaded podcasts. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I... I just keep downloading them, and I'm never... I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, so I... I really need to get a new phone, like very bad. The notification uh, that my storage space has run out, it lives in my <laughs> notification bar now. Like it, it it does not go away no matter what I delete, no matter what I do. That's how my S9 was. And I thought and I, I got, you know, I got a ton of space on the S9 when I got it. But then again, yeah. maybe I – I don't think I got the 32. Maybe I only got 16. I don't know. Whatever it was. But then, like, when I broke that one, the only phone I've ever dropped and broken, um, yeah. so I had to upgrade, uh, you know, against my will. I got an uh, – whatever this – I think this is the 20 or the 21. But anyway, my 21 has 64 gigs. And so now I, I, I'm i sure I will fill that up with podcasts before oh. I get a job. But Tim. Yeah, oh right now I have, I have 53 I, gigs I, free. I, I don't know how you operate on such little storage space. I have the 64 gig on my S8, and that's what I'm out of. Okay, I did not know that. What is on yeah. your? What could possibly be on your phone? Okay, l- listen to this because I have no fucking idea. <laughs> Look, I'm on my internal storage screen right yeah. now. 99% use. I have used 63.84 gigabytes out of my 64. Yeah. Listen to this shit. Images. 12.62 gigabytes. Okay, yes, I can move those to a hard drive. <laughs> S- same with my videos, 9.79 gigabytes. Yeah. And here's where it gets weird. Installation files, 6.67 megabytes. Mm-hmm. Audio, 85.16 megabytes. Mm-hmm. Documents, 65.71 megabytes. Those last three shouldn't be a factor at all. No. Other. 41.28 gigabytes. Something's fishy there. Something fishy. 
I, right and there. I can't click on other. I don't know what the fuck it is. Is it my yeah. apps? Is it my cookies? <laughs> Do I have 40 yeah, gigs of I, cookies in my browser? It's the stupidest yeah. thing. So I have been uh, an Android person uh, for all of my smartphones. I yeah. And the last two, I have been a Samsung Galaxy person. I think I might get an iPhone after this because wow. of just Samsung's inability to get rid of bloatware like that. And yeah. they are putting way too many eggs in the basket of foldable phones for my comfort level. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. You, you know that those I, are back. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, like, if it was one phone... Like, if they wanted to bring back the Razer that was foldable and, like, the whole thing was touchscreen, fine. Do it. But they're making... Uh, I, I think they have, like, four different foldable phones, including one that folds out almost into a perfect square. And the commercial <laughs> that they show this on, someone is watching a video that is taking up the full screen of this perfect square, like, fucking phablet, phone-tablet hybrid. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, like, video is not in that resolution. Like, if you're watching yeah. a video on your square device, it's going to be letterboxed, <laughs> like, two yeah. inches on the top and two inches on the bottom. But that's the thing. Like, not only that, are they bringing that, back It's not going phones, to look good. They're bringing back 3-4 aspect ratio. Everything's going to oh be in 3-4 again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Great. We're psyched. We're bringing Great. back folding phones and 3-4 aspect ratio. <laughs> but I just want to say, so the reason why... <laughs> I was late um, today was uh, because I had to go. So I get this text from my wife at like 2.30. It said, oh, I'm, I'm, she had to go into the office today. She's going in like once a week. Uh, be home in about 10 minutes. Didn't have a chance to get coffee. Maybe you can grab it before the podcast. And I said, okay, I'm putting Declan down now for a nap. She said, okay, I'll be in an interview, but just let me know when I can order it. And I said, I have podcast at 4. And she says, I know at 3.10. <laughs> And then, so I was like, okay, I, I guess if you really need it, I can go now. And this was at uh, 40, this was at, uh, I don't even know what time it was. This was 45 minutes ago now. So 3.15, I guess. And she's like, yes. And so I was like, okay. Um, but then I th started thinking about it on the way there where she, I was like, oh, she probably thought I had enough time at 3.10 to go. But I think what it boils down to is like, just like my coffee is more important than your podcast. <laughs> it's not your podcast is not important. It's like I have a podcast for I know. <laughs> oh, um, OK. All right. Oh, my God. No problem. So loud and clear. Right. Ten, yeah, ten, four. Got it. All right. Should we get, get going? Get started? <laughs> Might as well. Again, I'm not sure how much of that will make the final cut, uh, but yes, we, we should definitely get going. <laughs> it, it's going to be a great Patreon episode, whatever happens to it. Um, so welcome to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about The Junk Mail, Season 9, Episode 5. But before that, we did have some stuff from our last episode, The Blood. Really only one little bit of homework, and that is about nine and a half weeks. Specifically, the food portion of the movie that uh, was very big news back when the movie came out in 86. George references it when... He says there was a pastrami on rye scene in Nine and a Half Weeks, or it might have been Ghostbusters, I don't know. A little background on Nine and a Half Weeks. It is a 1986 American erotic romantic drama film based on the 1978 memoir of the same name by Austrian-American author Ingborg Day, 
and it stars Kim Basinger as Elizabeth McGraw and Mickey Rourke as John Gray. Now, point of uh, correction here, it does not star Marlon Brando. I mentioned last time, I was like, yeah, I think Marlon Brando's in it. The movie I was thinking of was Last Tango in Paris, which did have its own famous food scene and will come up in this episode that we're going to talk about today, interestingly enough. So they have, so Seinfeld had mm. back-to-back episodes where they mentioned two movies from the same era that had sexy food scenes. <laughs> so yeah. the movie is about uh, Kim Basinger plays Elizabeth McGraw, a New York City art gallery employee who has a brief yet intense affair with a mysterious Wall Street broker, and that's John Gray, played by the still hot at the time Mickey Rourke. Uh, this was 86 Mickey Rourke, not, you know, post- <laughs> whatever he boxing career slash plastic surgery mickey rourke uh the film was completed in 84 but it didn't get released until 86 Uh, it was considered too explicit by its american distributor so they heavily edited it for its release in the u.s and it was a box office bomb grossing only 6.7 million on a 17 million dollar budget it also got mixed reviews at the time of its release it has a 61 percent rating on rotten tomatoes based on 23 reviews so it's better than sour grapes Uh, we can't say that Is that hard to do? Is that hard to make a movie that's better than Sour Grapes? (laughs) Unlike Sour Grapes, Roger Ebert praised Nine and a Half Weeks, uh, giving it three and a half (laughs) stars out of four and not putting it on his most hated films ever list. Um, Oh, my God. And the soundtrack did very well. And the film became a huge success internationally in its unedited version, particularly in Australia, Canada, France, Germany and the UK, making $100 million worldwide. It also acquired a large fan base on video and DVD as a bit of a uh, cult favorite. So in listicles about the best food scenes in films, I gleaned. I didn't go watch the scene or anything like that, but I gleaned this from a couple of listicles. This is from Time Magazine. They wrote, in nine and a half weeks, director Adrian Lin's strangely frothy and lightweight portrayal of one man's kinky obsessions, the eating as lovemaking scenes are silly, contrived, and art directed to the point of distraction, bathed in the cool white light of a refrigerator, Kim Basinger becomes the willing canvas for Mickey Rourke's high-calorie depravities. And in the uh, mm. the website Simple, Good, and Tasty, even an average moviegoer like me knows about this movie's <laughs> steamy reputation. It's intimate scenes between Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger push as close to an X rating as an R rating will allow. But we're here to focus on food. Do you remember the scene in front of the open refrigerator? She is freshly showered wearing a white terry cloth robe and white socks. He's wearing not much. He tells her to close her eyes. In a series of close-ups, we first see his hand place an olive into her mouth. We see the tip of her tongue press into the hole where the pit used to be. We see his hand feed her maraschino cherries. Uh, he feeds her strawberries, champagne, and then, just for laughs, a jalapeno pepper. Uh, I guess that part's true. It's I don't know whether it's the person trying to be funny in the blog. I don't know. But, All right. Uh, yeah. Then we see her gulp milk as it runs down her face. Now she's being sprayed with a bottle of sparkling water. Building to a climax, we see him drizzle honey onto her tongue and then her thighs. He sensually spreads it to the other parts of her body and then passionately kisses her mouth. Mouse. Her mouth. (laughs) Passionately kisses her her pet mouse. (laughs) Uh, The scene ends as they begin to roll around (laughs) on the floor. So that gives you a little bit better idea of all the food that was involved in this, uh, you know, very steamy scene that, uh, again, a lot of people knew about and... The only way I ever knew about it was that it was lampooned in Hot Shots, which came out well after 1986, but I guess they were still making fun of... Let me see. When did Hot Shots come out? 1991. So five years later, people were still like lampooning this you know, very sexy food scene or supposedly sexy food scene from uh, Nine and a Half Weeks. <laughs> and even in 1997, they were still referencing it. So that's all the homework that we had, but here's some other trivia and tidbits due to time constraints. This is interesting because I remember referencing in the, or maybe I 
didn't, but it definitely stuck out to me that the cold open of the blood was not, it was like very plot heavy. It like introduced the whole episode, which we do sometimes get it. Sometimes it's not a standalone joke. Sometimes they just need to jump right into the episode. And it's because, you know, they, they just had too much episode. So the original opening featured Jerry sitting next to Newman in Monk's for some reason, I don't know why. Um, And the closing saw Jerry unsuccessfully trying to get the blood bank to arrange a total blood transfusion for him in order to purge out the Newman blood. So both of those were (laughs) deleted before broadcast. Other deleted scenes included the resolution of the Jerry dieting subplot. Following his blood transfusion from Kramer, Jerry orders a Reuben sandwich with extra cheese. And when Elaine questions what happened to his purification diet, he replies, that's oat bran compared to what I got inside of me. (laughs) Uh, okay. Yeah. The network, uh, fittingly, I would think, considered running the episode as a Halloween special due to its dark subject matter, but ended up airing it two weeks earlier on October 16th. So I guess the one <laughs> we're going to be talking about today is the Halloween episode. We, I guess we can see if it is uh, Halloween-y. I don't think it... I didn't watch it with I, that in mind, but... Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. And here's... where. Wait, who is this woman? See, I watched The Blood so friggin' long ago, I don't even remember yeah. now. So it says, guest star Kelly Waymeyer, who played a woman with a heart problem. Oh, the they never reference it's a heart problem, but this is Elaine's, Elaine's neighbor or whatever. Or Elaine's oh, friend. Yeah, her, yeah. her friend. Yeah. yeah, friend with the kid. Yeah, her friend. So the guest star Kelly Waymeyer played that woman with... Uh, and, and she died of an undiagnosed heart problem six years after this episode. Just kind oh of, God. yeah, spooky. Oh, Jesus. I know. So that's uh, that's all the trivia and tidbits and stuff. Shorty, which is good because we spent a lot of time bullshitting. <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, are we going to news or anything? Uh, not that I know of. We're, we're still counting down to October 1st. You know, the countdown to yeah. Netflix is on. It's back on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going on it, right now. It's... It's uh, it's back on if you consider uh, what we thought the countdown would be whenever it left Hulu. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I really had no idea when it was gonna pop up. I know. Um, what did I end up saying? I, I thought it would either just be announced and available to watch the same day, or at most uh, a week of notice. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Do you remember what you said? Did you say a month? I don't remember. I'd love to take credit oh. for being that prescient, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> if you said a month, like if if anyone can like find the <laughs> clip of Tim saying a month or or, or just correct us and like how long we thought it was going to be, if you said a month, that's incredible. <laughs> well, maybe I'll go back. We probably talked about that on the first episode when it left Hulu, right? That it was gone from Hulu. Maybe I'll I'm, try to go back and listen to the beginning of that. <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure it was one of those episodes. Yeah. The the other news is um I I stumbled across another Seinfeld beer. This one from Second Sin Beer in Fallingston, Pennsylvania. They made a Drake's coffee cake inspired stout called That's Your Big Boy, which uh, I love. Hell yeah. yeah! That looks incredible. Yeah, I would, I would love to get uh, get a hold of a bottle of that. I uh, I was actually on the site, and they only sell it in uh, I think one liter bottles. Yeah, it looks like just a. Um, <laughs> that makes sense because it's uh, that's your big boy. So you know it makes sense <laughs> that they'd sell it in bomber size only. Uh, and um, the other thing I want to mention is that I didn't know existed besides that was I was in a store and I saw Seinfeld Clue and I posted a picture Ooh. of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it, it's no one gets murdered 
uh, in Seinfeld Clue. Although it would be kind oh, of boo. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like they did murder somebody. They murdered Susan. So I don't know why they're scared of murder now. <laughs> but um, yeah, they um, the what happened to Newman is what you're trying to discover. The scheming postman knows incriminating secrets about Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, George, Putty, and Peterman. So I'm guessing that's who you can play oh. as in the whole thing. But who knocked him out with what and where did they stash his inflammatory newsletters? Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds, um, you know, it sounds, they didn't reinvent Clue to do this. It's just like a new, you know, a new, um, they just reskinned the classic Clue board. <laughs> but shout out to um, everybody in our timeline who is way funnier than I think I could have been, like Joey Begovdenuts, who says it was Mulva in the hot tub with a sponge. And then Hank Fry said it was Bookman in the library with toilet paper, just a square. And then Joey went back and said Soup Nazi in George's bedroom with a cinnamon babka. And oh uh, and then Hank said Cosmo with a can of Beefarino in a mail truck. And, God uh, damn. Yeah, pretty good, everybody. <laughs> yeah. But as uh, as far as that goes, that's all the, the news. All right. As far as I know. Um, well, if you've never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show. Uh, despite the last 29 mm. minutes uh, pre-edit being <laughs> exclusively uh, research and, and bullshit, we like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. Uh, I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at no hugging on Twitter or no hugging no learning show at gmail.com both those links are in the description also in the description you'll find a link to our new patreon it's patreon.com slash no hugging we've got a couple of tiers there and we have uh i i think we're currently at the rate of two bonus episodes a month uh plus the content that we clip out of uh what makes the final edit of our main feed shows and that is uh each week that there's enough to post um, last week, both neither of us were feeling well, so oh, I, yeah. I I really didn't clip anything out. I, I think there may have been like a minute, and I'm like, and it was just gonna be like us like coughing or shit like that. <laughs> uh, so it, it was it wasn't what worth it to post it. So I'm I'm sorry if there was anyone like counting on 15 minutes of extra bullshit last <laughs> week, but it, it it just didn't exist in yep. the run of the episode. But uh, if you uh, would like to support us, uh, check that out. Um, also, if you'd like to support us, uh, you can give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Uh, if you do that and you send us your mailing address somehow, DM, email, whatever, we will send you a free No Hugging, No Learning sticker free of charge. Um, we will uh, we'll get that to you ASAP. All that being said, Season 9, Episode 5, The Junk Mail, Original air date, October 30th, 1997. So I, I guess you're right. This kind of is the, <laughs> the, the de facto <laughs> Halloween episode. Yeah. Um, I was four years, 10 months, and 10 days old. And uh, if you count this episode and every other episode left, we have 18 episodes until we become a... Mm. Honestly, if you go by our Twitter, uh, I feel like we could definitely become a... Uh, licensed IP review podcast, you know? How's, how's that? Uh, because it's all like, whoa, look at this Seinfeld Clue oh. game. Hey, look at <laughs> look at these Funkos. Hey, oh my God, there's a card game. Or there's a trivia game. But we just have to buy everything, which sucks. Yeah. Although, yeah, that's not a bad idea, though. I love that. We just review one 
licensed Seinfeld <laughs> thing every uh, every week. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even have to be exclusively Seinfeld. We can do multiple seasons on yeah. like, hey, now we're going to do all office shit. True. True. <laughs> yeah. Hey, get ready for season three. It's all Pixar. Man, The Office, yeah, oh my gosh, these seasons are going to be like years long <laughs> if we just do one <laughs> per episode. Well, here's the thing. Only talking about one item, these episodes are only going to be like 15 minutes long. Yeah, that's true. We'll find a way to stretch it, though. We'll it's, stretch it wait, into an hour. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to take uh, lessons from Dennis Miller and do a daily podcast. Yeah, yes. Oh, God, there's nothing I want to do less than a daily podcast. <laughs> Yeah, what I love is like these people, like Nikki Glazer just started a daily podcast, and the way she sold it was like, you know, it's like a morning radio show. And I'm like, it, as much as, <laughs> as much as stand ups love to shit on morning radio, it really is like, you know, the, I think it's because it's the one thing they think they could do, and it's like they think it's some secret back way into being funny that that they can't like. The fact that she was selling it that way was just so funny to me, just because of the way that stand-up shit on morning radio and then that's what she started doing you know yeah like e- even as a former mi- morning radio host if you tell me something is just like a morning radio host that makes me not want to listen to it <laughs> yeah yeah well that's of course the way she sold it like you know it's, it's my friends like hanging out so it's like a morning radio show but funny Ugh. you know like Ugh. and that's the way every morning like hey just friends hanging out that's the way every morning show is described <laughs> to especially the listeners like hey just good friends hanging out even though like 90 percent of them like hate each other's guts uh oh when the mics are God, off yeah but um <laughs> Uh, you know, so yeah, I just, I just found it funny that she was, and, and especially because of, you know, everybody who's hip and cool loves to decry the death of radio and yet they want to just recreate it in every medium that they can, you know, it's like, like, well, you realize you're still doing that, you know, like you're listening to Tej and the dipshit. We're just two friends (laughs) hanging out. Yeah. Having fun at five 30 in the morning. Like, (laughs) like all best friends do. Those probably, those like shitty ones probably do still exist some places, but. I don't know. I, I think there's some people who are, are doing it like, I don't know, not as not as shitty. I don't know. I can't give you any examples, but, you know, it's not, not the same. As it, it's not the same as like the morning zoo days, you know. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems like it anyway. Um, so, um, yeah. All right. That sounds good. Where, where are we at? Um, oh, if you're looking at TV Guide, the night of October 30th, 1997. How, how did we get to Nikki Glazer from? Uh, she does a oh, daily we were talking podcast. To, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking at TV Guide the night of October 30th, 1997, you are going to see Kramer's efforts to stop junk mail jeopardize Newman, period. Jerry tries to avoid hurting an old friend's feelings while George suspects his parents are avoiding him and Elaine falls for a TV commercial personality. Damn. I mean, it's long. I, the, the only thing I think we may be able to do is shorten it, but I don't even know if we can do that. We'll try as we get to the end, I suppose. So we start with the cold open, and Jer- uh, George gets Jerry off of uh, what seems to be an annoying phone call by knocking on the counter and saying Chinese food. And did he affect uh, an offensive accent here? I don't I, think he did. I, um, he, no? he just kind okay. of like covered his mouth and just went... Yeah, I, that the covering of the mouth is what really made me think. Like, all right, is he just muffled and he's trying to make it sound like he's behind something so you can't hear it oh. all? Or did he like really do an Asian? Like, I don't, I don't think he he attempted an Asian uh, dialect. 
Yeah, uh, I really think he. I really think he oh said like, "Man, now I gotta. I, go, I don't wanna... Now I gotta go back and watch it. Yeah, don't do it. Don't don't do don't do the voice. I won't do. <laughs> I'm notorious for doing it, even when Ted tells me not to. But um, I really think that he did. But I don't know. I don't know. And his parents. For, for, for anyone who has never listened before, Tim's kryptonite <laughs> is me telling him, "Please don't do that. Please don't do the accent." <laughs> like uh, I don't know. And most of the time, it's like, "Don't do the uh, Eastern European accent." And I'm like, "Oh, they've never had." You know, no one's going to get mad at me for that, but this one, I, you know, might be the downfall. <laughs> By the way, I remember playing like, I remember, play, I remember playing Heads Up, probably with my former morning radio show co-host. We were doing like accents and impressions, which a lot of like, so it would pop up Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, oh, the good with the chopper or whatever. That's easy. But then like literally Japanese popped up and I was like, pass, hard pass. Yeah, I'm good. not going to be good. doing that live good. on the radio. <laughs> yeah, Good. <laughs> I don't think any smart person would have attempted that. Like, I think anyone in their right mind. But I'm like, how well, do you put that on that, a card in the Tim, 20, that's 21st the thing. century? That's the thing. That's the qualifier in your sentence that you're putting too much weight on. No smart person <laughs> would do that. Yeah, but I don't know how. I don't know really how smart I am. But I'm like, who put this deck together? And really, I mean, that should have canceled Ellen back. I mean, you know that that her thing. It's like let's cancel her Ugh. for even suggesting that we all do Japanese accents to each other or or, or pretend Christ. to do like stereotypical Japanese <laughs> accents. But it's funny, like some you know some are okay to get away. Like I'm sure like Australian popped up and I did a bad Australian accent. It's like that's okay, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so. Jerry is getting a new sob because he couldn't get Kramer's blood out of his old one. Uh, so a bit of rare continuity in the Seinfeld universe, like connecting two episodes yeah. together, which we rarely get. We we've, we have gotten it before, but it, it rarely yes. exists outside of like the first scene. Yeah, it's really... Or like maybe in the middle, it's like, oh, I thought you, uh, you know, they'll like close a loophole that they left open. And I honestly mm, think yeah. like they needed this for the storyline. But if they didn't say we don't see Jerry sob, you know, like I wouldn't have thought twice when Jerry was driving again and go, wait a second. I thought Kramer put his blood in there. And how is it working again? They never, you know, like I wouldn't have considered yeah. it a plot hole, you know. <laughs> so he was on the phone with fragile Frankie Merman. Uh, who Jerry has known since his summer camp days, and that's who Jerry would hang out with at summer camp, uh, and they called him Summer George. And <laughs> George even had a Summer Jerry that he confesses was made up, Whitey Fisk. Uh, Jerry <laughs> mentions that the guy that got him into Last Tango in Paris, but George never saw Last Tango in Paris. But like I just mentioned earlier, this is two erotic food movies that have been mentioned uh, in back-to-back episodes. So here's our Last Tango in Paris with Marlon Brando uh, reference. Do we need to do a dive on, on Last Tango? And, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really think it's super important. Yeah. Were you familiar? Do you know anything about it? I've heard the name, I feel like it but came up before. It. I feel like we've talked about it before, but maybe I'm thinking of Tropic of... You know what? Isn't Tropic of Cancer? Like, anyway, screw it. Uh, if I if I feel like <laughs> clearing all this up when I re-listen to it. Yeah. I don't know why I'm not into doing a dive on it either. Like, Something we're both unfamiliar with, yet I'm not going to write it down. I don't I, know why. <laughs> I think I think it's because like it has no bearing on any plot point. Yeah, like that's George true. said, like, oh yeah, salami sandwich, like that one scene in Nine and, nine and a Half, and half weeks. weeks. Yeah, you know, right. but like this doesn't have anything. It's not like, oh yeah, remember that one scene in Last Tango in Paris? I can't believe you didn't see that one scene yeah. because Whitey Fisk never took you in there. You know? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. We we don't need to know what one scene he's talking about. 
Yeah, it was just because, as Jerry says, like, so you never saw Last Tango in Paris? He goes, no. He's like, oh, it's a shame. It's very erotic or something like that, you know, and, and that's all. It was just <laughs> another one of these movies that, you know, was uh, famous because of its, uh, you know, steamy sex scenes. And I believe the food of choice in that one is butter. I think there's butter Ooh. in that movie. Yeah, sexy Ooh. butter. And uh, Kramer uh, comes in and he is collecting Pottery Barn catalogs that have been sent to him. Because he's going to get some payback on uh, Pottery Barn for all for all of these. He's got like nine catalogs. Yeah, yeah. He he stormed into the apartment and said, "I've had it with these jack-booted thugs." <laughs> is that a reference to something, or is I that just Kramer it, being Kramer? I think um, jack boots are like what the Nazis wore or the SS or something like that. So Jesus he's comparing. Christ, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's um, I don't know why he thinks they're so. Maybe because they're so persistent. <laughs> the Nazis were very persistent. Yeah. You can say that. Yeah, th- about that's <laughs> what that's what I think of whenever I think of Nazis. Man, they were very persistent. Yeah, persistent, <laughs> except on the Russian front, um, where they got very cold. I think that's um, yeah. So uh, Superman is on the shelf, by the way, in the apartment, and over at Monks, uh, Elaine is with Putty, but when he leaves, she becomes enamored by the dreamy eyes of a guy who has to borrow. Uh, the ketchup from her table. Yeah, and- I, I loved I, I loved Putty saying, because like Elaine tries to say like, oh yeah, something was so delish. And Putty doesn't know what oh, it yeah, is. Yeah. And she's like, oh, y- you mean like delicious. <laughs> and he's like, oh, like scrump. Yeah, yeah, scrump. <laughs> he tries to play long, but he doesn't get the premise. Like, no, you can't. <laughs> You can't shorten it like honestly, that. Honestly, I like scrump way more than delish. Yeah, I feel like scrump is a very 2021 word. Like, you could say that. <laughs> you know, that would catch on, I think, as like saying something is delicious. Let's do it. Let's both use scrump. Why see if not? we can make it happen. Started right here. You heard it. We want we want credit on Know Your Meme and Urban Dictionary. And, you know, even though Jerry, even though Seinfeld coined it, we want credit for the um, actual usage you know, for it entering the, the zeitgeist. Uh, the, the popularity boom. Yes, yes. And uh, I recognize this actor that played the guy with the dreamy eyes. So I'm going, I'm going to write him down. Um, but uh, was he, he's not a good looking guy, right? What do you no. think of this guy? I, I thought yeah. he was like the most average looking <laughs> mid to late 40s guy they could find. I was looking at this guy and I was like, his hair is thinning. He doesn't really have any sort of style. He looks very, he's, he, you know, his features aren't, are kind of like funny. I was like, I'm as attractive as this guy, I think. <laughs> uh, which, it, you know. Don't, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I was kind of, um, but I guess, so is the, is the reason they hired a guy like this to be the actor because he could be funny in some of the scenes later on? Or was he good looking in the 90s? Or. Or what? <laughs> you know, uh, or is he like, because sometimes people pop up on, sometimes people pop up on The Bachelor or Bachelorette, I'm like, that guy's not good looking, but everyone on the show is calling him a 10, you know, so I, sometimes yeah. I conf- I'm confused by what other people find attractive, you know? I, yeah, I have no idea. I don't think he was like, supposed to be like, drop dead hot, but yeah. I don't know, I, I guess like, because I mean, the, the way that they portray like his smile and like, I, I, does he wink? Too, or is it just his smile and like uh, a glimmer in his eye sound effect? I think it's just the glimmer, and his eyes are definitely highlighted in that close-up shot too, okay. like in that POV yeah. shot. So, it, so it, it's just to show you that like he's he's got like uh, entrancing eyes and he's got and charisma a, uh, and and a great smile. Yeah, he's got good charisma, but yeah. he's not like hot. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. I just like I think Putty is more attractive than him. I think David Warburton is more attractive than this guy. So <laughs> Elaine is definitely downgrading, um, as we might see later. So uh, over at George's, he is calling his parents, and they use the Chinese food at the door excuse to end the call, the, the bit that he used to get Jerry off the phone. And <laughs> I really think in, in this scene, somebody affected a, a Chinese uh, stereotypical they, Chinese accent. They may have. They may have. Because <laughs> um, I didn't recognize it as either Frank or Estelle's voices. And right. it did seem it did seem deeper, so it it sounded like a another guy or just uh, someone with a deeper voice. But I don't know. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous because George is like confused at this point. Like, wait a minute, did they just use the bit to get off the phone with me that I yeah. did earlier, or yeah. did they really have to go? Or um, and I did like George's bit about having to prep for a phone call. Like, I'll do. Oh that. yeah, we skipped over that. Yeah, yeah you need uh, you need a couple of anecdotes and a couple of you were right. You were right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a whole process. Yeah, yeah, and I feel the same way. Like when I call my mom, I'm like, all right, what am I gonna? <laughs> let me let me like think of the things I'm gonna tell her when I give her a call, just so I don't forget. Hey, mom, and... do you see this thing from the CDC? <laughs> yeah. No, that's when I know the call is over. When when we, <laughs> when we get into that. Like, Great. Okay, now well, I don't I don't know if I can keep that in the final episode or the Patreon bullshit. Right, I know. <laughs> it's weird to know. Like I've I've always done my you know, it, it's I, I wouldn't be able to do any what I do like radio show or podcast or anything like with my mom in mind, but I always think later, like, oh, I said that and my mom was listening. You know, it's like, well, whatever at this point. Like, how much we yeah. talk about Dave Bautista's dick? I'm like, did my mom hear that? <laughs> oh, I kept all of that in. Oh, I, I kept know. all I of know. Dave Bautista's dick in. Oh, I know. Wait, oh, wait God. a second. Oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. All of it. Maximum skin. <laughs> oh, Christ. Um, so, anyway, uh. Uh, over at the Pottery Barn. Kramer uh, yells in the door and drops all the catalogs on their front step, but then he leaves very awkwardly. I didn't know what to think about his exit. Yeah, this was a. It was weird for that reason. Yeah. Um, because it, I I kind of took it as that no one acknowledged him in the store. Yeah. And then he just walked away confused. But this was also weird for me at first because I had really no frame of reference of how old Pottery Barn was and, yeah. and seeing. A real store in Seinfeld back yeah. at, and what? This is in 97. I had no idea Pottery Barn was that old. I know it's only like 23, 24 years ago, yeah. but it's it's seeing a real place in a fictional show. Yeah, it is weird, but I guess they needed a place that sent out like a crap ton of catalogs all the I time. I guess, but why know? Pottery Barn? It could have been like any number of like fake stores. Yeah. <laughs> but but we wouldn't. I, I think we wouldn't have had the same. Um, yeah. And honestly, I like the Pottery Barn catalog. It's distinguished. Yeah. Well, even Jerry is like, "Ooh, can I have one of those? I need one of those." Uh, what yeah. He, he says, "I need one of those blanks that looks really old or something like that." I don't we, remember what he wants to buy. We always used to keep a Pottery Barn catalog on the back of the toilet for decorating purposes. Yeah, I mean, Pottery Barn is awesome. <laughs> like, and Pottery Barn Kids is awesome. Like, we go into Pottery Barn Kids, and it's like. It's. I, I wish we could. I wish we had Pottery Barn money. We don't. Uh, oh my especially God. these yeah. days. No. But even when we were, Ugh. even when we were both working, like we didn't have Pottery Barn money. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm with you on that. But I remember. Um, I don't remember when it came out, but I remember the whole Friends episode. They did a thing about Pottery Barn too. Remember how Phoebe hates Pottery Barn, and so they have to lie about where he got his apothecary table, um, or else Phoebe will get mad. You know? Do you remember that? 
No, I have uh, no okay. idea. Yeah, so there's a whole Pottery Barn episode about uh, on, on Friends too. Yeah, I, I guess it was just that like nobody cared, which is very on the nose for retail employees too. It's like if somebody did that, it would be great because a it would give you something to make fun of and talk about for the rest of your shift, and uh, and b it's like I work for a multi you know national conglomerate. Why do I care if one customer is upset? Like I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I do not. But yeah, we he just leaves very awkwardly up in Jerry's apartment. Jerry says. So George, he should check for Chinese leftovers to see if they actually got Chinese food because there's always Chinese leftovers after you get Chinese food. Elaine comes in and she is in love with this guy that she met in Monks, but she's not going to fire Putty, uh, as she says, until she finds out if the new guy can hire the work or handle the workload. <laughs> so she's going to keep them both on the line. Kramer is still getting catalogs and he rattles off all of them, including Newsweek. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it was like Omaha Steaks, yeah. Mac Warehouse, and Newsweek. Newsweek, yeah. Uh, and he says, you know what? I am going to take care of this at the choke point. And Jerry goes, you're going to stop the mail? And Kramer goes, that's even better, which well, I really liked. Think, yeah. What do you think the original <laughs> choke point was? <laughs> Maybe the companies themselves or the or the I, printing press. Maybe where the they printing get press. Because yeah. he says, I can't handle all of these companies by themselves. Yeah. So it must have been. Yeah. He must have been like he's going to was going to do something to the printing presses. Find out where they're all printed, maybe. Uh, yeah. So I, I liked that there was an unspoken plan yeah. A that. Or, yeah. or, or maybe Kramer was just planning to murder whatever mailman was putting it in his box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That could be, too. That could be, too. Over uh, down on the street, Frankie shows up with a van just like he and Jerry talked about back in the day. And Jerry's like, yeah, we were 10. Uh, and Frankie's like, remember, we just talked about getting a van and just just driving. Uh, but Jerry can't upset fragile Frankie because when he would get upset back in the day, he would run into the woods and dig a hole and sit in it. Uh, did you did you recognize fragile Frankie? No, I didn't. It's Dana Gould. Oh, my God. Is it really? Yeah. Stand up. Wow. Uh, the, the comedian's comedian, Dana Gould. So I'm sure Jeez. like just one of those guys that Seinfeld came up with uh, in the day. And uh, I'm going I'm to write him down for, for next week. We'll do a little dive on Dana Gould. Okay. And over at George's parents, they are playing. I wrote, so I wrote this down. I was like, oh, cool. George's parents are playing Guess Who? Because it really did look like the classic whip yeah, tile game Guess Who. But it's not. It's like um, Mahjong or Dominoes or some other sort of tile <laughs> game. And when George shows up, they have to exit for a catered affair. And they have to leave right now. And Frank is wearing his normal, like, 70s leisure wear and george is like you're going like that and i loved it frank's like it's creative black tie <laughs> uh and george opens the refrigerator and there are no chinese leftovers mm. so something's going on here uh, over at monks elaine is meeting the dreamy guy from monks whose name we know is jack now jack shows up and he goes to the bathroom but elaine asks ruthie cohen to use the phone and we get a rare uh, ruthie cohen yeah. line yeah so uh, that's nice and she breaks up with Putty again as uh, she's like, hey, we're, we're through. She's like, yes, again. We only hear her part of the book also. Um, you can just fill in your own Patrick Warburton. Oh, geez, again. Over at Monk's. Well, we, we're still at Monk's and now it's an evening shot. And we really only see this because Jerry and Frankie, I guess, are driving by in the van. And Jerry's looking for a place to park. And it starts beeping when he puts it into reverse. And he's like, oh, I, I think there's a truck nearby. And Frankie's like, no, that's us. And oh, my God. Jerry inquires about exchanging the van, uh, and and Fragile Frankie says immediately, huh, you don't like it. I, I got to go to the park. 
and then, <laughs> and then Jerry recants immediately, like, no, no, I love the van, I love the van. And it's at this point that I wondered, wouldn't a giant Ford conversion van be even more money than a, a Saab? Uh, which I know, mm-hmm. like, Jerry didn't get the turbo. I don't know what Frankie was going to hook him up with, but I was like, man, those those big vans can can run you especially when you know it's, it's closer to an rv than an actual van i mean the fact that it had the beeping thing on it you know made me That's wonder true. and one of the features that we learn about in the very end of the episode makes it definitely more like an rv yeah like these these huge vans i, I would imagine might even be more money but up in the apartment foyer in jerry's apartment foyer uh kramer has bricked up his mailbox uh, and Jerry <laughs> wants to sell the van to a lot in Jersey, uh, but Kramer convinces him to sell it privately. And so in the Jerry's apartment, he starts writing out the ad, and it starts with Big Juicy Van, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, not going to get any sort of good responses from anybody, uh, I have a feeling. <laughs> Big Juicy Van. And um, Jerry discovers that the mailman is putting Kramer's mail in Jerry's box because they can't put it in Kramer's. And so Kramer still hasn't stopped the mail from being delivered. Elaine comes in with Jack, and when he's introduced to Jerry, Jerry is mesmerized by his dreamy eyes. Over in uh, the post office, Kramer tries canceling all of his mail, and Newman takes over from the clerk that he's asking to do that for, and he buckles under the mention of how Kramer would get by with the mail when it comes to uh, email, faxes, all all the stuff that uh, can replace mail, and Newman's like, all right, look, you got us. No one needs mail, but... It's such a powerful the the postal service is such a powerful entity that that Kramer is is going to get himself in trouble by trying this. What did you think again about uh, the punching down at the post office of Newman coming in? Like, <laughs> hey, Violet, I'll take over. You can go on your three hour break. Loved it. Yeah, loved Jesus it. Jesus Christ! Yeah, so funny. Go on your three well, hour I, break. Would a joke against the post office is that is that punching down or is that punching up? I really have no idea. That's a good question because. It's yeah. a government agency, so I guess like that would be punching up, but also it's it's a joke about like them obviously like being lazy and not doing anything. So yeah. my my <laughs> mind immediately goes to punching down. Yeah, yeah, because it's about the employees themselves and like it's not any bureaucracy or any government thing that's keeping the post office from being a reliable form of <laughs> communication. It's the lazy employees. Yeah. yeah. So it yeah. definitely is like yeah. <laughs> um but I, yeah, I love how Newman is just like, yeah, the, just the ultimate lazy employee. But um, yeah, and, and even admits like no one needs mail. But he also has like a respect for it because I remember in the bookstore episode when he's, you know, telling Kramer what oh, to say. Yeah. And he's like, you know, there's really no such thing as junk mail. It costs ju- it, it takes just as much work to deliver <laughs> what you call junk mail as it does for everybody would love checks and birthday cards and stuff like that. And anyway, he goes off on like, so he <laughs> believes in it, but also he doesn't believe in working too hard for it. You know, he doesn't work in the rain and uh, he, you know, gives up quite easily and, and stuff like that. Over at George's parents, George is waiting in the dark kitchen when they come home, and he demands to know why they ditched him, and Frank lays it out there that they have had it with George. It is our time now, and we're cutting you loose. And then he um, goes off to make love to Estelle. (laughs) I I loved Estelle's line, too. The breakups, the firings, and every Sunday with the calls. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, it's just a normal thing to talk to your parents about i, I <laughs> yeah. mean obviously george has a lot more breakups and firings than the normal person 
And also, I feel bad when I haven't talked to my mom in a long time, you know? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, God, I haven't called in a while. And, you know, you, you got to set aside time because it's going to be a long, you know, and then and then it just goes by, you know. So I, I think he was doing it all out of guilt. And this is, as we learn in the next scene, like, George should be happy about this, but he's not. Like, it's everything he's always wanted. But now that they're the ones cutting him off and not vice versa... Um, he wants to get, you know, he wants his parents' attention now that they don't want to give it to him. And mm-hmm. so he tells Jerry he plans to get that by dating his cousin, Risa, not Lisa, Risa. And yeah, yeah, R-H-I-S-A. <laughs> yeah, I had to turn on the captions to figure out what the hell. I'm like, well, what kind of name is Risa? But okay. Meanwhile, Elaine's new guy looks very familiar to Jerry, who says, who sees him on a commercial for... Nobody beats the whiz. And this always puzzled me when I was watching this as a 16-year-old or whatever, because I guess Nobody Beats the Whiz is a store. Have you ever seen this? Is, um, is the whiz the name of the store? Or is the name of the store Nobody Beats the Whiz? I'm going to write it down for homework next week because I really think like on their signs it says Nobody Beats the Whiz as the entire title of the store you know <laughs> oh god yeah it's okay. like the store is a complete sentence like i can't believe it's not wait or this wasn't there a store called well now i was gonna say i can't believe it's not butter but that's a product not a store <laughs> but I, I know there's another store anyway that's like that that's a full title um but yeah uh, so i really think the full name of the store is nobody beats the whiz as, as odd as that sounds and he and the guy jack is the whiz from the commercials uh, elaine comes in and George leaves to go plan his revenge on his parents, and I love Jerry's saying uh, as he leaves, have fun at the family reunion. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and Elaine, her hair is up, and she's very made up. I really noticed. Yeah. I was like, why is she so put together? She looked, I mean, she looked great. You know, I mean, Julia Louis-Dreyfus always looks great, but especially here, she had, like, just come from an inaugural ball or something. And Jerry shows her the commercial, and she's shocked uh, to find out about this guy. And Kramer calls about the van. Jerry gets a call, and he's like, oh, yeah, the van is still for sale. And then Kramer runs over from the cross hall and says, I'm the one who called about the van. Oh, God. (laughs) What? This this whole bit didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree, and we'll delve into more of it uh, down on the street. After this next scene... Uh, where we are at a restaurant, which was at 23 East 22nd Street, and it is not there anymore. I don't know what it's called, but we also saw it in The Chaperone from way back in the day when Jerry dated Miss Rhode Island or whoever it was. And 23 East 22nd Street is now the entrance to One Madison Condos, which has a height ratio, height width ratio of 12 to 1, making it one of the slenderest buildings in all of the New York City skyline. And I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked about the chaperone, but Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen own a $14 million apartment in this building, and they rent a similarly sized one. Ooh. Yeah. God. Explain that to me. Why would you own and rent in the same... Why would you own and rent at all? Like, why didn't you just buy both? I, I don't know. Maybe it's whenever uh, Tom comes home for a game, and he's part of this new celebrity culture of thinking showers are poison. And Giselle like kicks him down to the apartment instead yeah. of the instead of the townhouse. Or he's on a hot That's... streak, and he's like, "I can't shower. You know, I'm on. Uh, you know, it'll yeah, you know, it'll break yeah. the luck. It's bad luck." Got, uh, Giselle, I gotta be stinky when we play the Ravens. Yes, something like that. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, 
uh, also famously bought the triplex penthouse. So I'm guessing that's three apartments put together in this building. So that's the penthouse. <laughs> and he bought another full floor apartment for $57.3 million. Yeah. And God damn. I know. And the restaurant, uh, as you can see in the exterior shop, was called Bolo. And I know I mentioned this last time. It was one of Bobby Flay's restaurants. But it was sold to be you know, demolished and rebuilt uh, as the lobby to this giant condo. And in this restaurant, George is there with Risa, who is surprisingly to George, into, as she says, being bad with George. She's like, yeah, okay, let's be bad, George. And she gets, like, right into it. <laughs> and she she does something with her feet. She, yeah. she touches George somewhere. She gooses um, him. Yeah, guessing by, like, how George, like, uh, jumps. Yeah. Uh, she She touched him somewhere. I think so, yeah. I think she brushed something. <laughs> I think it moved. It moved. I think it moved. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, out on the street, Kramer is looking at the van, and I did love the bit where he breaks the antenna. He's like, what, is this bent? And he like completely rips off the antenna, and then he's like, well, I'm not paying for that. And <laughs> he says, you said in the ad you'll, uh, you'll discuss interesting trades or something like that. And Jerry's like, you put that in the ad. And so Kramer wants to trade Anthony Quinn's undershirt to Jerry for this giant conversion van uh, that Kramer stole when Anthony Quinn took it off while he was working out in the park. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like this whole bit was to set up like, oh my God, Anthony Quinn's shirt. I have no idea who Anthony Quinn is. Oh, well, I'll write him down for next time. I, I know he's an actor. I don't know what he would be famous for. Okay. Um, but you know where I, I think they just went back to the well of like John Voight's LeBaron. They were like, hey, funny, like random you know, mid-level celebrity and common everyday item that yeah. like, let's just pick two out of a hat and then put them together and it'll be funny. Anthony Quinn's undershirt, you know, <laughs> like kind of forgotten actor. And then, you know, everything, something everybody has um, mm-hmm. uh, over at the, another restaurant. This one is Jojo, which is another restaurant that we've been to in the Seinfeld universe. It's also in the wait out season seven, episode 23. Jerry takes Beth Luckner here. It is still at, 160 East 64th Street. Yes, JoJo is still there. Looks exactly, well, maybe not exactly, but it looks almost the same as it did in 97, which surprised me back then. But if you want the deep dive on JoJo, uh, I think it's vegan or organic or something. Just go back to season seven, episode 23. But Elaine tries making up with Putty because she is she doesn't like the fact that Jack was the spokesman and played the whiz in these commercials for everybody, or nobody beats the whiz. So she tries making up with Putty and he won't take her back. I, I loved Putty's line, too, because uh, he's like, geez, I don't know. What if we're out somewhere and you see the Maytag repairman? Yeah, it was witty for someone that dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't think Putty is going to you know, have like razor-sharp wit like that, but it did cut <laughs> her pretty hard. I, I got to agree uh, that it was, it was a good, good uh, dig. And out on the street, Kramer is using Jerry's van to protest the Postal Service, and Frankie happens to walk by and finds out that Jerry traded the van and runs off. Over at Monk's, George and Jerry are there, and Risa doesn't want to tell George's parents or anybody because she thinks she and George have a real future together, as George says. <laughs> so now he's gotten himself into this situation. And Jerry, Kramer comes in, and Jerry didn't trade the van after all, even though Kramer thought they had a done deal. 
But Kramer can't give the van back because he lent it to Frank. He wants to move some of George's stuff out of the house into storage. And George is like, you know what? This is perfect. When Frank comes to get the van, I'll be making out with Risa. And that's the way they'll find out. Well- the, he even says, like, I'll be making out with his brother's daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Jerry runs off to find Fragile Frankie because Kramer tol- tells him that, uh, you know, he, he told one of his, his friend was upset that Kramer had the van now. Uh, also in the scene, I loved Kramer coming in. Like, he spent the entire day with uh, the van as the mobile postal re-education center. And he's like, we were outside of the post post office all day, and not a single person went in. And Jerry's like, it's Sunday. <laughs> and I liked the bucket on the head running gag, because he has this dummy that has a bucket on the head, a, a postman dummy, and this woman is grilling him, like, what's with the bucket? And he's like, because we're blind to their corruption. And she's like, shouldn't you be wearing the bucket then? And he's like... <laughs> He's like, you know what, lady, move along. And then Jerry or George grills him about the bucket. And then it comes back up later. I like that. I like the runner. Yeah. And each time Kramer says it's like a different meaning. I forget what he says to Jerry, but it's something totally different. And Jerry still says, well, shouldn't you be the one (laughs) wearing the bucket then? Yeah. And then later on, I don't remember what I didn't write it down. So I'll just blow it now because someone says like someone says something to him. He's like, I know I'm getting rid of the bucket. I'm going to do something else like. I know the don't worry, the bucket's not a part of it anymore or something because he's had it with people trying to figure out what the metaphor is. But then much later on, the bucket actually does come up. So um, out on the street, this is where uh, Kramer is walking with his dummy and, and someone mentions the bucket thing. Oh, yeah, I think it's Newman who asks him about it. So Newman stops to warn Kramer. He's in his mail truck. He's like, look, the the Postal Service is going to make you disappear. They're going to find a postman that you know and trust, and they're going to throw you in the back of a van, and uh, that's how it's going to go down. But then Kramer see, then Newman sees two other guys coming around the corner, like men in black style with like aviators and stuff, and he's like, Kramer, get in the van, get in the van. And Kramer's like, no, no, this is how you said it was going to go down. I love that Which, bit, too. K- Kramer's totally right. This is literally the exact thing Newman just described. Why would he get in the van? Yeah, I I love that he thinks, though, that (laughs) it would happen immediately after he told him how it would go down. Um, But I like Newman trying to, like, there's another way you could go down, and it's going down right now. (laughs) Oh, no, you said this is, and you're a postman, I know. Like, Like, Newman didn't realize what he was doing. But the men in black do grab Kramer over in the park. It's dark now, and Jerry is looking for Frankie, and he comes across a different guy digging a hole. Uh, so that's uh, off-putting. <laughs> and Frankie is digging a hole where George and Risa pull up in the van. And he n- recognizes it and starts banging on the window. Oh. Seinfeld's van! Seinfeld's van! And George freaks out and thinks he's yelling, Son of Sam. And <laughs> runs away from the van yelling, yelling. I knew it wasn't Berkowitz! <laughs> holy shit this this whole scene i love i love this entire scene um because not only that like on top of that uh thing we didn't touch is risa is in the back uh drinking something and she's like okay george i'm ready (laughs) and george is like hold on i I need to uh get a reading from my compass in the dashboard Yeah, and she's definitely chugging uh, um, wine coolers, which was like yeah. which was like a white girl summer drink before seltzers were a thing, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, oh my god! Yeah, I, but I the, the Seinfeld fan, Seinfeld fan. I think he's saying "Son of Sam," uh, and then I knew it wasn't Berkowitz. Was hilarious too. <laughs> um, and then Frankie climbs in the hole over at Monk's. Elaine reunites with Jack, and he's like, "Oh, this is great. This is the second piece of good news I've gotten today." And the other piece of good news is they're bringing him back as the Wiz, and he starts marching around Monk, saying, "I'm the Wiz. I'm the Wiz. Nobody beats me. I'm the Wiz." <laughs> uh, and I guess that's pretty much the end of Elaine's storyline there, which is odd. Um, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> and and, and you, you just see like her eyes kind of like drop and, and she's like, I've made a mistake taking this guy back. Yeah. So yeah. now she, she wants to go back to Putty, uh, assumingly. Yeah. Over in the Central Park at the hole, Jerry tells Frankie that he's <laughs> keeping the van. I love the way he puts it like... Because he's keeping the van because it's better than hanging out with these nocturnal dirt people. <laughs> yeah. And even Frankie gets out of the hole. Someone immediately comes out of the woods and goes, are you done with that? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. I want to know the inspiration for the nocturnal dirt people. Because, like, how, how many things have actually happened to the writers? You know? Yeah, are yeah. there nocturnal dirt people in Central Park? I, want, I would love to know. Yeah. I remember, like... <laughs> You know, being even like in the nicest parts of Manhattan, like that, that abut Central Park, like Central Park West or whatever, like I had a friend who used to live kind of in that neighborhood and like we knew like don't go into the park after dark. Like it's weird that yeah. they can't get that place under control. This was like back in 2003 or whatever. So maybe it's under control now, but geez, I don't know. You know, it's like, why can't they get Central Park under control? Why, you know, and, and. Uh. Yeah, and it, I, I don't know. Grace and I were there a couple of years ago with a friend. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the the friend lives there, and it was around Christmas time, and we went to like the uh, Christmas market, which was on. If you're looking at a map, I want. I think it was the southeast corner of Central Park. Mm-hmm. And we were going to like walk a little bit into the park, and she's like, "No, you do not go into the park when whenever it's dark." What is that? What is up with that? I mean, I know it's an expanse, but like. I don't know. They've they've had some time to get it under control. <laughs> I don't know what they need to do. But yeah, it, and it, we saw it in action when we were walking. Again, we could see whatever road, whatever main thoroughfare abuts Central Park. And we were right near like, again, like Tavern on the Green or something. And we were just, we were leaving the park. I don't remember what we were doing in there, but the sun wasn't even fully down yet. And we were offered drugs by a group of like five guys that were just like hanging out in the park. That's and, everything uh, your second grade teacher is afraid of that tells you you're, that is going to happen. Like people are yeah. just going to offer you drugs. <laughs> well, they weren't free. I'm sure they wanted us to oh. buy them or they oh, wanted okay. us to attempt to buy them and then they would rob us and not give us any drugs or, you know, w- we didn't know, but like, the fact that it was like the um, the U.S. Weather Service sundown time. You know how like they say, oh, the sun is going down today at 7.13, but there's still some light? It was like mm-hmm. right at that time, and we were <laughs> leaving the park, and we like we were um, offered uh, drugs or potentially we're going to be robbed by people, you know, either way. It was just weird that like... <laughs> You know, I was like, wow, I didn't know how true it was that you should stay out of the park uh, when these, it gets uh, dark. But these these it. people probably just set an alarm on their phone. Okay, sun's going out yeah. at seven thirteen. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's the time I get to fuck shit up. Time to go to work. Yeah, so maybe there, maybe there are nocturnal dirt people who just dig holes uh, all night for for various purposes. Frank and Estelle go find the van. So they're in the park after dark, and they find the van to pick up in the middle of nowhere. And I love Frank's reason. He's like, why? Estelle's like, why did Kramer park it all the way out here? And Frank's like, isn't it obvious? No parking meters. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, and so, I do like the attempt yeah. at explaining that, though. 
Because I'm like, if they need to move things, why wouldn't Kramer make it a little easier for them to get to the van? But hey, they... They make the attempt, and you know that's a that's all the more explanation I need to be satisfied with that. Does it make perfect <laughs> sense? No, but it's there. Yeah, they did fill the plot hole, and I lo- like Frank and Kramer think similarly often, and I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I like that runner through the series that they, you know, when they team up, they're a great team. You know, like they get each other because they're both just oddballs, you know. And so the fact that Frank's like, well, duh, no parking meters. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you drive your van on the grass of Central Park and park yeah, it in the woods? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, so they open the van doors and they notice that... Uh, they didn't even have to open the van doors. They oh, were yeah, both left right. wide open from George and Risa running out. And they're like, oh, good. He left the doors open for us. I'm like, it's nighttime in Central Park. This van is in the woods Doors are wide open. I wouldn't think this is like a safe and secure place right now. Yeah, the fact that it hadn't been desecrated like nine different ways already. Uh, oh, shock. It's, it's, a, it's about to. It's about to be because they notice that the back seat converts into a bed. Ooh. Oh, hoochie mama. Hoochie mama. Uh, over <laughs> back at the post office, uh, Kramer has been taken in and he meets... Wilford Brimley. Yeah, playing um, the Postmaster General, Henry Atkins? Yeah. Is that what I, his name was? Okay. I loved that Kramer knew. He's like, huh, <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, you can just call me Henry. And Kramer's like, Henry Atkins, the Postmaster General? <laughs> I loved that. Um, you know, because there was no reason in 97 to know who the Postmaster General is. We all know it's Louis DeJoy now because... He is a uh, Trump lackey who is, for some reason, still in charge of the Postal Service. But back then, there was no reason to know the post- uh, Postmaster General's name. Uh, so I love the fact that he didn't know it. But uh, so he grills Kramer, and he does he does this in a way that only Wilford Brimley could. Like, Wilford Brimley can be, like, <laughs> the kind grandpa that sells you either oatmeal or diabetes medicine. Or he can be, like, grandpa when he's mad at you which yeah. like is always scary to kids and he does both in this scene and it's a masterclass like it's so good when he's like well i guess it is kind of silly a bunch of people in wolves he's like but it's my job like he gets it's it's so it's better than seinfeld deserves you know like yeah. the fact that they got this guy it's bookman level <laughs> i will say it's bookman level and that's a high praise yeah yeah, I I would agree with you. Yeah, because it's it's just like he's acting his ass off in this sitcom that again doesn't deserve that. Just uh, doesn't deserve him. Doesn't yeah, deserve le- his talent. That saying this as a fan, they don't deserve that level of talent. But he grills Kramer to once again start taking his mail again, and then Newman comes in and he's handcuffed with a bucket on his head. So Kramer, they do use buckets in their punishment of of postman so i thought that was a fun bit of continuity in the episode where kramer was like kind of right about something you know uh over in the park george and risa run into jerry and frankie and they both greet each other like ah the summer george he's like ah it's the winter frankie um (laughs) and then george sees the van and says hey that van's a rockin and then jerry goes don't go a knockin which is of course a reference to the very famous bumper sticker from i don't know the 60s and 70s but also elaine said now that jerry has a van he should get that uh bumper sticker and i agree it was a groaner like hey that van's a rockin don't go a knockin like oh boy (laughs) all right 
But they open the doors to see Frank and Estelle in the middle of getting busy, and nobody turns away or slams the no. door. I I noticed that. <laughs> they they keep watching. They yeah. are there for the show, apparently. Yes. And uh, like I, I know Pornhub is not a thing yet, <laughs> but like yeah. I, I I wouldn't want to sit if I'm George, I wouldn't want to sit there and watch my parents have sex. If I'm Risa, I don't want to watch my aunt and uncle have <laughs> sex. If I'm Jerry or Frankie, maybe I want to stand there. Yeah, yeah. Frankie has the most reason to keep watching out of anybody. He has no connection, yeah. but, but but Frankie Frankie has the the least to lose in that situation. You yeah. know, it's it's two people to Frankie. Yeah, and and I was gonna say Jerry like grew up with like they're very like George and Jerry at least went to high school together, so he's they've been his friends' parents like for twenty or thirty years or something at this point. You know, maybe maybe just yeah. like you know somewhere around there. But then I was like. Maybe that does interest Jerry because he knew them when they were like young and virile, um, <laughs> and so maybe that maybe that it did interest him uh, in that way, like wanting to see his friends' parents get it on. But um, yeah, that's that's the order that it goes in: like Frankie, Jerry, Risa, and George, like of, of people who should have turned away from least to most. <laughs> but no, they they um they sit there. They and watch. all just watch, yeah. And then Jerry says, "I gotta sell this van," and even fragile Frankie agrees that it's okay for Jerry to get rid of the van. <laughs> uh, over back over, we, the, that's pretty much the end of the episode. Except we get one more scene over at George's parents where they're eating dinner, and they and and Frank and Estelle go to have sex again, and then we just get like thirty seconds of Jonathan Wolf soundtrack. Uh, as George yeah. like kind of puts his head down on the table, disgusted that the parents are going to go make love again, and I was like, <laughs> interesting that they had to stretch this episode so much. Yeah, it was weird. Weird how it just ended like that. There was no <laughs> joke in the end part in in the credit scene. There was no yeah. joke to it, other than I, I guess the joke is that Frank and Estelle are going to go bang again. Yeah, old people having sex. Ha ha ha. Yeah, that's that's, that's the, the joke. joke. That's the that's joke. The joke. <laughs> we did it. Um, <laughs> and then did you watch to the very end and hear that little stinger no i ran out of time what there was, was the stinger there was an audio stinger as the castle rock entertainment uh title card flashed and i think it was the music from the whiz commercial but i don't know mm. I, I didn't recognize okay. it and the thing about the whiz commercial was like that guy's talking over the whole thing so you don't really hear anything but it sounded like kind of a synthesized royal fanfare and so um, I don't know. Maybe we'll get some closure on that, whatever that audio stinger was at the end next week. But yeah, there was another odd audio stinger, and I didn't recognize it this time. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, what do we got for homework this week? Uh, what is the deal with The Last Tango in Paris? Potentially. I don't know. We might. <laughs> uh, who was the actor who played The Wiz? Uh, what might we have seen him in? I feel like he was on MTV like in the around this time, like the late 90s, early 2000s. He had like... Some sort of MTV deal. That's that's my guess for for next week, but we'll see. Uh, Dana Gould, do a little dive on him. Uh, Nobody beats the Wiz. What's the deal with that? And a little, what's the deal with Anthony Quinn? Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Um, what do we like for cover art this week? Hmm, good question. I didn't write anything down. What do we got? We got Jerry and Frankie in the van. That's not a bad shot. Um. Oh, what if it was just like Jack's dreamy eyes? Like just that that one shot, you know, that POV shot of oh Jack's eyes. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe. Or like him uh giving like the dreamy eyes as the whiz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dressed up in the um the whole costume. Yeah, that's another option. Something like that might might work. 
Jeez. I mean, since okay, it's called yeah, the I'll... junk mail, maybe Kramer at the van handing out stuff, you know. Maybe, but, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll see what I'll see what works out. Um, let's see. Let's see what we can do about this week's description. Okay. Okay. So we had Kramer's efforts to stop junk mail jeopardize Newman. Period. Jerry tries to avoid hurting an old friend's feelings, while George suspects his parents are avoiding him, and Elaine falls for TV commercial personality. First off, I hate how the first one is a complete sentence, and then the next three plot points just run on. Yeah. I don't know. Like this has started the last couple of weeks, and it's it's not good. Yeah, I think we can get rid of the whole. We don't need Newman in there. So yeah, what I, if, I think what we if can just like Kramer tries to stop junk mail. Junk mail. Yeah. Can we just say mail? Like he wants to stop all of his mail, but I guess mm, we'll just we'll just keep it as junk mail because like if you if you get rid of that, then you have to have like Kramer tries to stop the mail from being delivered to him. To him, yeah. So Kramer tries to stop his junk mail. Yeah, either his junk mail or even just junk mail. Yeah. But he is just trying to stop his junk mail, so what if we say Kramer tries to stop his mail? Okay, yeah, we can do that. And then, what's the next part, Jerry? Jerry tries to avoid hurting an old friend's feelings. That's that's not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then, while George suspects his parents are avoiding him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Elaine falls for a TV commercial personality. See, I would I would change that some way, but I don't know how. While Elaine... Because that gives away, like, her storyline is already paper thin. We don't need to give away the whole thing. Yeah. Because what if we just... she doesn't fall... Well, she does fall for a TV commercial pitch man, but finding that out about him makes her want to dip him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the punch. Like, she doesn't yeah. fall for the personality. She falls for his dreamy eyes. Yeah. Um, can we just get rid of Elaine entirely? I'm fine with that. The only thing I changed okay. to is, like, Elaine meets a new man, which could be every episode of Seinfeld, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so we would have, uh, Kramer tries to stop his mail, Jerry tries to avoid hurting an old friend's feelings, and George suspects his parents are avoiding him. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I I like that. I think we could change, like, George's parents are acting weird, or something like that, you know? Maybe, maybe we can keep George's, but I I really think we can, we can chop it up if we, if we felt like it, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're literally always weird. They're weird yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> so just saying they're acting weird would mean like, oh, so they they have a, a normal episode. Yeah. What about George's parents are acting suspiciously? Act suspiciously. I don't know. <laughs> we can keep it as he thinks they're ditching him because it does happen like right away. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. Uh, um. All right. So uh, next week we have got season nine, episode six, The Merv Griffin Show. Uh, original air date, November 6th, 1997. And if you were looking at TV Guide the night of November 6th, you are going to see, as Kramer puts a discarded talk show host set in his apartment, <laughs> Jerry schemes to play with a girlfriend's vintage toys, and Elaine deals with a scheming employee. Oh, I... And, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, the last part, Elaine deals with a scheming employee, is its own sentence. Again, for some reason. Elaine deals with a scheming employee. <laughs> yeah, it is a full... But, but the first two are separated by a comma don't yeah. know why i like the way that the last one was written where it's all happening concurrently i mean it is but it's just a funny way to write it's like this happens this happens and this happens while this happens and this happens <laughs> yeah i uh i'm really interested to see what happens with our descriptions uh come october 1st yeah you know? yeah yeah that will be uh that will be interesting to see what netflix does with it i, I guess they'll probably be shortened 
But this is going to be a very interesting episode because do you know anything about it? I mean, I feel like this is one of these episodes that that people have seen before. You know, like mm, no, even, I have let, no let, idea. Nothing. Okay, all right. No. Um, but you know, it's like it's an iconic episode, so I'm interested to see if it holds up. But I know there's also a very interesting. There's something very interesting that would get maybe maybe what would most cancel Seinfeld when people see it when it's on Netflix like this may be the episode that people go hold up if it's you know just from what I remember of it like what oh no what uh, what Jerry does in this episode (laughs) but we'll have to wait to see what Ted thinks about that I'm very curious next week and I guess uh, is that it yeah I think that's it okay for no hugging no learning I'm Tim Murphy I'm Ted Hollowell be good (laughs) 